Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Ayo Disu, the co-founder of Octillion Capital Partners, a value-driven digital native consumer brand platform acquiring, operating, and growing an ecosystem of inclusive and sustainable brands in the health, beauty, and food and beverage industries. On this episode, Ayo and I discuss the importance of transparency, Octillion's acquisition criteria, how they prevent homogenization, and much more. Here's our interview now. Ayo, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. Real pleasure. Yeah, we're very happy to have you. So first off, why don't you tell me a little bit about your company, Octillion Capital Partners? Sure, sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll try not to speak for too long because I get very passionate about the topic of the company. So Octillion basically was a company or is a company that I started after my 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 master's degree, my second master's degree. And it came about just a lot of like reflection came around after that COVID period. In that I was doing a lot of research just around, I think I was doing a lot of research around innovation. Um, and I was looking for a thesis to write, basically. I was looking for a thesis to write for my for my master's. And everything that I suggested to my to my supervisor at the time was just rejected, 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 rejected. So in in the quest to find a research topic, you go down a rabbit hole sometimes. This rabbit hole led me to something interesting known as a search fund. So I came across this Stanford search fund primer. And instead of me essentially focusing on my research, I was I ended up reading this primer. It's like a I think it's like a 40 page primer or something like that. And it just talked about a search fund. And if for people that are not familiar, a search fund is a subset of private equity in which an entrepreneur looks to acquire business rather than start a business. I'd done some private equity work before and I was familiar with the concept of just like buying and owning businesses and stuff like that. And also my a lot of my degrees are focused around business. So I was just very keen at the prospect and also the idea of actually acquiring a business because I felt like that was where my skill set lied in terms of optimizing rather than starting. But in some ways, you have to start to then learn how to optimize. One of the things that I really liked about it was the entrepreneurship side of things too, in which you can combine the love and passion for entrepreneurship with basically just a love and interest in finance and bringing two of them together to then go into M&A. So with that being said, after writing the station, writing the business plan within the same, at the same time, I launched the company after my thesis, which was actually awarded the best thesis in the entire department. And they wanted me to, to publish that. But I was like, I have no interest in pursuing a research led degree or PhD. I'm, I like to do things a little bit more practically. So I launched, launched the company and Octillion at the start was just a search fund looking to buy an e-commerce business. But after I, after a bit of work, basically just starting off, obviously just building, put your head down, do as much as you can. I came across, I got a message, right? This was like maybe a couple, maybe it's like almost a year in to, to, to the company. And I get a message on LinkedIn from this guy and just saying, Hey, I like what you're doing. I think you read my thesis because it got published on the actual um, CIMR, which is the Center of Innovation Management Research. And he was like, Oh, I really like what you're doing. Let's catch up. But initially, I think I was working on, on a deal and I have, I use Notion as my kind of like digital operating system. I said, okay, I'll put this guy in my Notion, but I put him in, in my low priority list. And then I just kept on doing what I was doing. And then he reaches out again saying, Hey, I really like to catch up. But I was like, okay, let's catch up. And this was like Easter period of like 2021, if I believe. 
we ended up chatting, got on very well, very, 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 very good chats. And it was actually my soon-to-be and now current business partner, KC, Kone Campbell. Shout out to Kone Campbell. Yeah, we just connected. We, we started working together just informally, just to build that rapport, build that understanding. Ever since that time, we've been working together since. Octillion now to just bring it full circle, an acquisition company that is focused on essentially building the next CPG impact conglomerate. So take the likes of P&G, your, your Unilevers, your Nestle's, that sort of architecture and that sort of DNA of acquiring businesses or having a portfolio of brands in which you are then obviously serving customers in different aspects or different industries like food and beverage, health and beauty. So at Octillion, we're focused on high impact CPG brands in food and beverage and in health and beauty. We're looking to acquire businesses that basically have a DNA for, I would say, goodness and businesses that are category creators that do not realize they're category creators just yet. And so far, we have around three brands in the portfolio, a CPG, a food brand, um, a company called Lean Caffeine, which sells clean, good-for-you, functional nutrition products. So there's like a two-in-one in that company that we have the clean coffee side of things where we sell incredible coffee, to be honest with you. That's free from mycotoxins, free from heavy metals, free from pesticides. And then underneath that, we have a sister brand called Clean and Pure that sells um, other supplements such as MCT oil powders, collagen, bone broth, all that good for you stuff. And then the other brand that we've recently just acquired is a skin tech brand that I'm keeping the name close to my chest because it's actually undergoing a, a rebrand at the moment. And there are a lot of interesting things in the works for that. But to just summarize, Octillion is a CPG impact conglomerate or aspiring conglomerate. And yeah, we're looking to buy 20 companies in the next seven years. So far, we've done three. So there's 17 more series to be completed. So yeah. Well, I think you'll be able to get there. And and I really appreciate the thoughtful answer. We were talking before the show about what the acquiring workload is, right? So when you and your team at Octillion are, are acquiring these companies, how hands-on are you when actually running them after the fact? We're extremely hands-on, especially for the level of these businesses that we provide. So typically, these businesses are like sub-10M in terms of revenue standpoint. So typically, they're usually founder-led businesses. Founder, maybe the founding team, with a couple of VAs, potentially maybe one or two full-time employees. Or in some cases, it's really just kind of operated with a couple of outsourced personnel just helping out. Um, so you're really hands-on, especially for now. Now, that's not going to be the case forever. If you're trying to acquire 17 or so 20 businesses, you can run 20 businesses at least in a year. At the moment, we're very hands-on, but we're also looking for uh, leaders, leaders in those businesses to basically represent us so that we are not, not missed when we're not there. So right now, the way that we're trying to do this is to put in place robust systems and processes so that the system will run the business, but the people will run the system so that the business is not people dependent, it's system dependent. Because again, you can always trust your system, but you can't always trust the people. So again, if you make a bad mistake, you can plug someone out of your system, but then replace them back into with another person in the system. But the business and the system is 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 fixed. So right now we're just building up those processes and systems so that 
it would enable us to fire ourselves when we find the right people that we believe can lead the companies in the same way that we would lead the companies. To answer your question fully, we're quite hands-on for the time being. No, that's great. And I think being system-oriented is a very smart solution. That's something that I like to try to be um, in, in past jobs because it's also the the legacy aspect that's kind of nice, You know, being able to work at a place, implement a system, and then you can leave and then a little piece of you is kind of still there at that job. And I think there's something kind of uh, proprietary about that that creates a, a semblance of pride a little bit. So that's cool. I really appreciate that. Why specifically this industry or niche that you decided in, you know, health and beauty, nutritional aspect? Why did you guys decide to pick and acquire companies that have to fall under that umbrella? Yeah. So I think, as I said before, when Octanet started, the goal was just to buy an e-com business. And that's just extremely generic. There's so many types of e-com businesses out there. So we had to kind of be a little bit more introspective and also a little bit more um, um, selective. And plus also we need to look at sort of like, okay, look, if we're going to be doing this, if we're going to dedicate the next decade of our lives to doing this, we want to do it on something that we actually really care about. We're not just looking to 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 make money. Don't get me wrong, we're a for-profit enterprise, but you can make profit, but also still do well and also still have still have fulfillment in terms of like the job or the companies that you that you work for and you own. We looked at our own personal lives. At a young age, I've always I've always I've wa- I wanted to be a footballer. That was my first ever like a, this is soccer in the in states. Um, um, I wanted to be a footballer. So and I remember when. I started to really take diet seriously. I realized just the impact it could have on my performance. And with that, I've just kept this cadence all through my life of, again, my diet is not perfect, don't get me wrong, but I'm very cognizant and I'm very aware of what I'm putting into my body. I fast, I do like an OMAD diet typically. Now I'm, I'm struggling a little bit more just because I'm getting so, I'm so busy, but I'm very cognizant and I'm very aware of what I'm eating as well as also what I'm like putting onto my body from a skincare standpoint. So that was the first thing. And just looking at in our own lives, my business partner, Casey, he had an even bigger health scare and bigger reason to live a healthier lifestyle just because of obviously what he had gone through in the past. So when we're looking at all of that, plus also we're looking at macro trends as to kind of how the world is changing. Consumers are a little bit more aware about what they're putting into their bodies as well as also putting onto their bodies. That coupled with the fact that if if you're looking at it from a macro level in terms of what is out there currently, as I mentioned, the companies like Unilever, Kellogg's, they they control a large proportion of what we eat, what we consume. A lot of times people think they have so much choice, but they don't actually have that much choice as to what they're consuming and also what they're putting into their bodies because it's still coming from the same brand and their model is based around just repeat purchase. So in order to to get that repeat purchase, they're going to put a lot of things that will drive that. So a lot of additives, a lot of sugar, a lot of salt, a lot of chemicals that to be very honest with you, they're killing you, but you don't know. And really a lot of like the, the research is also funded by these big industries. Uh, big pharma is a, is a huge, is a huge case study for that. If you look at obviously what happened in America with the opioid epidemic and the Sackler family, you see that a lot of research is actually being funded by the, the company. 
um, around oxycodone. For us, when we just saw, obviously, there's a big problem. There's an obesity crisis at the moment. It's a modern day epidemic. And I think that is having an impact as to not just your physical well-being, but also your mental well-being, which is why you're seeing the rates of like depression, anxiety fly through the roof. It's and to be honest with you, some of these things are, they're not just mental, but they're all, they're also physical, which is based on just how you feel really. And as they say, like you are what you eat. So if you're eating a lot of like terrible foods, you're typically going to feel quite like bad, lethargic, depressed. And also if you're translating that to, let's say like the skincare industry, the skincare industry is, is also fairly like, it's fairly like secretive um, in that you don't really know what's happening. You also don't really understand some of like these these ingredients that they're actually putting onto some of these creams, some of these serums, you don't really know. So what we're trying to do right now is trying to dispel that as well as also just provide natural, easy to understand, traceable ingredients, at least for our skincare products when we eventually go into that market so that it just dispels the myths around essentially skincare. So really it was basically just how are we living? Where is the world going? And where would we like to make the most impact? And where do we think we can make the most impact? And that basically formed the basis of our decision-making process to go into food and beverage and health and beauty. And I want to talk about that decision-making process a little bit, because what I'm hearing you say, Io, is that transparency is key a little bit in, in, in kind of whether it's with companies that you're trying to acquire or whether it's, you know, how they or you are selling to the public is that transparency isn't something that we see as often nowadays. Is that a major criteria in a company that you're looking for? And and what are some of those other criteria in a company you're looking to acquire? Yeah, so I'd say like definitely you're seeing companies being transparent now. I think one of the things that I have essentially accelerated that is just really the advent of social media, but also it's the consumer is getting smarter longer the days that uh, consumer is blind to the fact Blind to what a company does. Now, all you need to do is just Google some stuff on the internet. You have obviously um, social media in which you have people actually calling out brands for doing X or doing Y. So the consumer is getting smarter and brands starting to realize that, oh my God, if we're going to, if we're going to thrive or sustain ourselves in this modern world, we have to become a little bit more transparent in our operations. So transparency is key, but obviously there's, there's, there's different levels of transparency. Just because you're trying to be transparent doesn't necessarily mean you're going to give away all your, all your, your secrets and stuff. For us, I think transparency, at least from a skincare standpoint, was just around like the ingredient list. Like what are you putting into these, into these, into these, um, creams and serums that you're making? From a food standpoint, it's just basically like where you're sourcing all of these, um, all of this from. What are the actual like, um, nutritional benefits of these products? And again, you get into that sort of like granularity when you're a bit deeper into diligence. But going back to the question around our criteria, um, we're looking for a couple of things. Looking for a business that is simple to understand and operate. So taking the owners from something like Warren Buffett, um, we're looking for companies that are profitable. So profitable companies anywhere between 250, at minimum of at least 250,000 SDE, EBITDA, net profits. Um, Looking for a company that has a recurring nature to its service. So, which is why we like skincare and food and beverage because you have that repeat purchase, which is then optimizing for CLTV. We're looking for companies that have started their path towards sustainability. 
Again, whether that be in the form of your packaging, whether that be in the form of your impact, whether that be from like your supply chain, maybe just sourcing from local or, or regional manufacturer supply chain. So for example, with our food business, a lot of our supply chain is based around the Europe zone. So it's actually reducing our carbon emissions. We're looking for companies that have the high potential for growth, obviously. That's super, super important. Looking for businesses that have at least 20% net margin, so strong operating and financials that can lead into even stronger margins as we expand and as we infuse optimizations across the board. And yeah, we're looking for businesses that typically have like a small product catalog, so small SKU size. So anything between ideally five to like 15 to 20 products or maybe even 30 products for the time being. But obviously as, as, as the team grows, as the team scales, then we can, we will amp all of this criteria up. Um, acquisition size anywhere from one to seven million. And yeah, that's that's a bit of our criteria. No, that's great. I think that's an impressive breakdown of it. I'm curious what happens when you find a company, right, that has all of these attributes and kind of ticks all these boxes. What some of the red flags that pop up that might then make you decide that it's not really a good fit? I think when you probably just do a little bit more diligence on the company, um, again, typically you can, when when you can typically like to do like share-based deals, so like actually buying the entire company, buying all the shares. But typically you'll be looking to do that if the company doesn't have much liabilities. So one of the biggest red flags is that if you go into the financials and you see a lot of liabilities, um, because you'll be buying the entire company, it means that you'll be taking on all of those liabilities. And that's typically what we do not want to do, especially if we're now looking to infuse a bit of debt to buy the business. So we need to ensure that we have a strong financial profile so that we can obviously take the business um, and grow the business. So that's one thing. Red flags is just like a lot of liabilities, at least from a financial standpoint. Second thing is just it's interaction with the seller. So this is a little bit more of a qualitative factor, but it really, it really is extremely important because again, you're buying the business from essentially like a willing willing seller so i'm hoping that the seller is typically quite responsive to, to to questions to queries that's that's another big thing just like interaction with the seller the relationship with the seller you're looking at potential another thing that we don't like to see is revenue concentration so again if a lot of your revenues let's say and this is e-commerce right so typically revenue is not that concentrated because you're getting it from the plethora of different customers um, it's not like a B2B company or a B2B SaaS company where you're dependent on maybe like three, four, five to almost 10, 10 clients. If there's revenue concentration from a certain customer or someone, that's another big red flag because maybe in the background, the, the, the customer and the previous owner, the current owner have a working relationship and should you then acquire the business, would you then have that sort of relationship? Would you have that same leeway? So that's another thing just to obviously be cognizant about looking at potential growth opportunities as well. Like sometimes you might want to sell a business or some people might want to sell a business because to be very honest with you, there's there's not much else you can do to really grow the business. So we always say like skin on the bone. We want there to be skin on the bone for us so that when we're coming in there, we know that, okay, we can take this business from... 5 million to potentially like 50 million. And then we say, okay, we've done our part um, and then we pass it on. So there needs to be enough skin on the bone. If there's no skin on the bone, it's just, it's just not that interesting. As well as also some just other, some, some other factors that we look at in terms of just like from a compliance standpoint, 
Um, you look at obviously some, some marketing, um, some marketing metrics, um, effective use of cash, um, the team, products, all of that. So there's there's a lot of different factors that come into place, but which is why we put a lot of emphasis on the initial like screening bit, so that and diligence. It's basically just like really just studying a couple of key areas, checking all the uh, dotting on the i's, crossing on the t's. Um, so that we know that, okay, should they pass diligence, we're most likely going to buy this business. So we do a lot of work up front so that the work later on is not as much. You've talked a lot about the quantitative criteria and the quantitative necessity in terms of what checks your boxes. But you used the word uh, just now in your answer, qualitative. And I think that that's very important to help contextualize maybe why uh, someone is selling their company. Is that an important factor that you look into? Because that is a little bit more intangible. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you have to you you have to understand motive, right? Exactly. You really have to understand motive, as as they always say in like in like the legal world. What is the motive behind this person's action? Because if your motive is pure, then it will lead to an easier transaction in that the person is forthright, they're honest in their dealings. If the motive is not pure, then it will probably cause a lot of problems later down the line because they may be a little bit more, they may be a little bit more cunning in their in their motives. So, for example, let's say you know that there's a problem that you have foreseen because you have been in this industry for a while, and potential new um, new new buyers do not know about this problem, maybe because it's it's an industry specific thing, or just because they are not super familiar with that industry. And you're trying to obviously offload this business so that basically you do not have to bear the risk and you can more or less just cash out. These are some of the reasons why you obviously just have to consider the, the qualitative factors and understand the motive for why the person is selling the business. So that's a key question I always ask them, like, why are you selling the business, particularly if it's a business that is on the up and up? So revenue is growing, gross margins are good, net margins are good. There is a plethora of avenues in which you can take to grow the business. Why are you selling? Why are you really selling? Let's 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 understand the motive here. Typically, uh, people can sell their businesses for different reasons. You get the fact that maybe they've taken the business to a point in which they they feel like they can, so they've like hit like a ceiling basically, and they're just looking to now do something else. A lot of people sometimes are quite good at starting businesses, growing the business, and then they're looking to sell because they're not really looking to 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 run the business for a prolonged period of time. Some people, to be very honest with you, were just bored in that. Okay, I've taken this business; it's not as fulfilling as 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 I would like, and maybe I'm, I have other projects that are a little bit more fulfilling that I would like to see. Maybe utilize the capital or utilize a bit of the capital that from from selling this business into, and then that's that's it. But yeah, it's a very important aspect. There are a lot of qualitative factors to to, to consider, obviously, with an acquisition, as well as also just like running the company as to Okay, you have to put yourself in the in the, um, in the shoes of the customers. Have to put yourself in in, in the shoes of a plethora of different stakeholders so that you can try to make the best decision. But at least from an acquisition standpoint, understanding the motive and reason as to why the seller is looking to sell that business, and also assessing yourself. So assessing, we always assess ourselves in our ability to run these businesses is crucial for just for making the right decisions. I'm very interested in what you said earlier. It's kind of stuck with me about your comments about like a PNG or, or a Unilever and, and how the illusion of choice can happen in, in the free market. With a goal of acquiring 20 brands, 
how do you prevent from being homogenized, essentially, where all your brands have similar business models or plans and and aren't competing with each other? I mean, how do you go about not creating like a, a, a monopolistic society that way? Oh, well, I think with what we're trying to do, especially with every brand that we're trying to do, every brand is unique. Every brand is every brand is different. Um, the way I look at brands is is that like a brand is like your friend. I'm sure you have more than 20 friends and they're all very different, right? So that's the same way that I think that we are looking to build our brands and then they will each have their own tone of voice, their own voice. And it's, 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 it's kind of similar to obviously what a lot of people that have obviously gone down this route have done in that. Yeah. All our brands are different too, but we're trying to have brands that are different, but brands that are also good for you. The Octillion DNA is good for you brands. So even if you're buying from one of our other brands, you know that. This is a certified good brand because of essentially the main company that it's attached to. There's no funny business. It's just good, decent food and beverage products and skincare products. Because you've elevated your brand too. So so it has the Octillion stamp of approval a little bit. Exactly. It's almost like when you see like certified B Corp, you know that, okay, this company has undergone like a rigorous process to, 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 to getting that accreditation. And there was something that I was going to say in which you asked for like, like a criteria as to what one of the things that you look out for. So I won't go into, I'll try to keep it brief, but like, it's one of the reasons why we picked the first company that we acquired, Linkafine, in that the story of that brand was just incredible in that the founder of the business, I believe his, 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 his father had dementia and unfortunately passed away from dementia. And as a prevention mechanism, he was researching just ways to, 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 to prevent getting dementia. And one of the things that he came across was just intermittent fasting. And as he was doing intermittent fasting, one of the things that came across was obviously on um, how you sustain yourself during the fast. And I believe he really liked coffee. So he started looking into this whole bulletproof coffee movement. Um, so I'm sure you could know people like um, Dave Asprey with his brand and some of these other people and just the entire Bulletproof Coffee movement. He was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try and do this, but I'm going to do this as clean as possible. So creating coffees that basically were free from mycotoxin, were free from pesticides, were free from heavy metals and tasted incredible. And that story resonated with what we were trying to do at Octillion, which is providing customers with the best in class, good for you products. So when you marry those, uh, those two things together, it's exactly what you just said in that the brand that we acquired matches with the brand story of the acquirer. So there's this like flow of authenticity throughout the supply chain, the acquisition supply chain. And it's going to pass down to the customer because what we're now doing is that we're now infusing better operational efficiencies. We're basically putting more love, more attention, more resources into the business so that we can provide, obviously, just better quality products for our customers. No, that's a very valid answer. And and you use my favorite word there, authenticity. Before we wrap up IO, I always ask guests the same final question. You mentioned it before the show, during the show, that entrepreneurs and and e-commerce professionals are extremely busy. So the value of work-life harmony is even more important, I think, to people in this industry than, than a lot of others. What are some hobbies and interests that you practice in your free time to establish good mental health and work-life harmony? I subscribe to this philosophy of stoicism. I don't know if you see much about it, but I'm 
makes me think that I'm storing a lot of like um, introspection on myself. So uh, with that, I journal um, just to get my thoughts out there. Obviously, when 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 you have a lot of thoughts in your head, it's very good just to like express express them. And I find solace in expressing myself through my writing. So I like to do that. I'm a big Negroni fan, which is the drink, it's a cocktail. Um, so I like to try different Negronis. Um, I like to experiment with different Negronis. I'm a big music fan as well. I love music. I dedicate like an hour every weekend or every Sunday or Saturday if, I, if I'm free um, to finding new music. Sometimes I can I can journal Negroni music so I can do all my favorite activities on one day. And then, yeah, just reading, hanging out with friends, traveling. I love traveling. Um, I want to travel a bit more, but I, I find it quite hard to step out of my routine to enable that traveling. But yeah, I think as 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 things go a little bit more as 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 you build better systems, better processes, I think I can have the ability to travel a little bit more. But also, I I, I think I can work anywhere. But I typically like to work with a lot of different screens, so I'm not just limited by one one laptop. But yeah, those are kind of like my hobbies. I won't go too much into them, to be honest, just for the sake of time. You still kick the ball around, Danny? Yeah, I do. I do play five aside. Um, I try to play maybe once or twice a week, but not as much, not as fit, not as fit as I once was. My knees are definitely feeling them. So yeah, still do it, but not not as much as I would like to, to be honest. I totally feel that. I usually play the same same way once or twice a, a week, and I'll tell you, I always try to get there early to stretch because at our age. I am still, you know, knock on wood, shocked that I've never had a, a soccer injury. And that's because guys show up to the field and then play. And I'm like, I'm not doing that, man. That is not worth it to me. <laughs> I, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much for your time and good luck with Octillion. I'd like to thank my guest, Ayo Desu, for joining me on the show and come back on Thursday when I talk with Brian Clayton, the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, a web mobile hybrid application allowing homeowners to source, schedule, and pay quality pre-screened lawn care providers through an online marketplace. For more information about Ayo, you can connect with him on LinkedIn. To learn more about Octillion Capital Partners, you can visit their website, octilliancapitalpartners.com. That's our show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until then.